Hi, my name is Braden, and I'm going to be reading the teaching text today. Today, we are found in Luke 10, 38 through 42, starting in verse 38. Now, while they were on their way, Jesus entered a village called Bethany, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She said, or she had a sister named Mary, who seated herself at the Lord's feet and was continually listening to his teaching. But Martha was very busy and distracted with all of her serving responsibilities. And she approached him and said, Lord, is it of no concern to you that my sister has left me to do the serving alone? Tell her to help me and do her part. But the Lord replied to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered and anxious about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, that which is to her advantage, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Brayden, let's go. What's up, New Song students? How are we doing tonight? I'm going to do that annoying thing where I have all of you stand up and move to the center because we got a light crowd tonight. So everybody stand up, move to the center. I want to see all of your beautiful faces. Come on, let's get close like we love each other. Oh, yes, so much better. <laughs> oh, it's okay. I can see you guys from here. So much better, so much better. Now I can see all of your beautiful faces. We doing good tonight? Come on, is anybody excited to be in the house of God tonight? Can you believe it's already February and we are closing out our vision series for 2024? This is crazy, y'all. This year is flying by, but we're going to jump into it. Tonight is the final message in a string of conversations that we have been entitling, As It Is in Heaven. Look to your neighbor and say, As It Is in Heaven. If you are new here tonight, welcome. Every year we start off the year with a phrase that sums up the vision we feel like God has called us to focus on as a student ministry family. And this year we feel like God has led us to live a life where our focus is to see uh, earth look just like heaven. Why is that our focus? Well, it's because that's what Jesus told us to pray about. That's what he told us to pray about in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus never intended that our Christian faith would be summed up in a big clique of people, a big group that is hiding away from the world, that is judging the world, and then twiddling our thumbs until we come back to Jesus in heaven one day. That is not the point of Christianity. And Jesus also didn't give us the Lord's Prayer. He didn't just give that prayer to people who get paid by the church. It's not just for pastors and ministers to pray and to ask for. This is the call of every single believer. We got any believers in the house tonight? Okay, good. If you believe in Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to him, guess what? You're invited into this call of praying prayers that sound like on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? That's every single believer's calling. But it doesn't take a lot of observation. It doesn't take very long to look out in this world to discover two things about what we'll see. The first is that um, it definitely doesn't look like heaven out there. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that. And uh, number two is a lot of Christians don't look, sound, talk, or pray like Jesus did. So this is our mission. What does it mean for us as, not just believers, but us as New Song students, what does it look like for us to live this kind of life that desires to see earth look like heaven? 
what does it look like for us to live a life where our, our life is like a portal into heaven? We are an intersection between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. That's what we're focusing on. And each week, we have been answering a question. You guys been enjoying this series so far? We've answered three questions so far. In week one, we looked at what needs to die. What needs to die? That's right. Then we looked at what needs to change and what needs to shift. So what we've talked about so far is until we learn to die to self, we will never partner with God to see his kingdom come into this world. If we can't die to our kingdom being built and our will being done on earth, we won't see heaven come to earth. And then in week two, we looked at uh, what needs to change. We, we talked about how we are called to be a royal what? Priesthood. Priesthood. We're called to represent the kingdom of God as prophets, priests, and kings, and have eyes to see what is different in this world that doesn't look like heaven. How can I match heaven into this atmosphere? How can we be that portal into heaven? And then last week, man, Molly did an incredible job. Make some noise for Molly last week. She, she, reminded, us, she reminded us that the root issue that we see in all of the evils in the, the, the sin in this world is not a people problem. We don't battle against flesh and blood. Our enemy is not a person with a bad ideology. Our, animal, our, our enemy is the devil, right? A very real enemy and his demonic forces that are taking up space in this world. And so we fight those forces through what? Prayer. That's right. Somebody was listening. So what needs to shift? Tonight we're going to be closing out this series, answering the question, what, need, what is necessary? We've looked at what needs to die, what needs to change, what needs to shift. Tonight, I wanna to simplify our walk with Christ. And I wanna ask what is necessary? Before we do that though, let's pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus, we love you. This is all about you. Thank you for your presence in this space. God, I ask that as we open up your word tonight, as we dive into your word, as we close out this series, Lord, I pray that you would download into every heart the simple gospel. We serve a beautiful God who made things simple for us. We live in a complicated world, but I pray tonight that a spirit of revelation would fall on every single heart. Holy Spirit, speak to every heart and open up our eyes to what is necessary what is necessary? What should our soul focus in this life be? And help us to walk that out, Lord. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Okay, uh, something you need to know about me is I love to learn. Any learners in the house? Any student? I know you guys are all students, but who likes to be a student? <laughs> it's okay if you don't. That's okay. I, I love to learn, um, but I didn't grow up thinking that I was a good student because I wasn't. I was, uh, you, knew, you know my story, I was into skateboarding, I listened to hardcore music, and that was kind of my vibe. And you know when you're in high school and middle school, you categorize people, you know this, right? You categorize them with their interests and you stay in that lane. And so for me, I was in the lane of skateboarding and metal music, and to me, that didn't line up with being a good student or making good grades, and so your boy didn't make very good grades in high school or middle school. So I just kind of grew up with this belief that I, I'm just not a good student, I'm not a good learner, but the older I've gotten, the more I've learned I actually love 
to learn. I love to learn stuff. I love being a student. I'm not a student anymore, but I am still a student at heart. I'm always looking for something new to learn. In fact, if you were to take an inventory of my life, and if you were to look at the stuff I have and the time that I spend and the things that I watch and the media that I consume, you would find a lot of random stuff that I'm currently learning about right now. So if you were to look in my backpack right now, which is in the lobby, um, I have a, no joke, it's like a 10 pound textbook on systematic theology, which that one makes sense, right? Like you're a youth pastor, that one makes sense. But I just carry it around with me because I, I bust it out every now and then. You never know when you're gonna need a, a massive 10 pound systematic theology book. If you go onto my uh, YouTube search history, you are gonna find some very random videos of things that I'm learning. I'm not even joking. If you were to right now open up my YouTube account and look at my search history, you would find these three videos in order. First one, quantum computers <laughs> and how to understand them through quantum physics. I'm not even joking. That is in my YouTube history. You would find the video under that is the church history in 10 minutes. It's like a summarization of church history. And then the one after that is like the latest Thrasher skateboard video that came out because why can't I have all three, right? Like I know I'm a youth pastor, but I don't, I don't wanna stay in that lane. I wanna learn about quantum physics and skateboarding. So like, I like it all, I'm a student. Anybody else like to learn? Come on, raise your hand if you like to learn. Well, I'm always consuming stuff and I'm always learning new stuff. And the other day I watched a video that really kind of blew my mind. Have you ever watched something and you're just like, dude, I've never thought about that. I came across this video and it was entitled, Everything Explained in 10 Minutes. Whoa. I was like, that is a mighty claim. <laughs> so of course I had to watch it. I watched it and it was actually made by uh, this YouTube channel that I'm subscribed to. It's a Christian YouTube channel and that he makes really funny videos, but this one was legit. And the whole premise of this video was in this universe, we, we live in a complex world. How many would, would you agree? Like you, you're in biology right now, you're in chemistry. The world is complex, right? We live in a really complex universe, but he wanted to pose the question, if we were to just peel off layer by layer the things that people study in the universe, would everything be connected? And so he kind of poses this question, and we do live in a really complex universe. I mean, I think we would all agree, like, the universe space is very complex, and there's a lot of science that goes behind it. But not only the, the science of this universe is complex, but the issues that we face in this world don't always have, like, an easy black and white answer. Like, today in the United States, we live in a first world nation, which means we have a lot of privilege. We have a lot of modern day things we get to enjoy. But it almost seems like our nation, we have everything we want, whenever we want it, however we want it, and we are definitely not the happiest nation on the planet. And at the very same time, you've got you know, these third world countries where they may not be dealing with depression and anxiety to the degree that we are, but they are dealing with other complex issues like starvation and, and not having clean water. Like we live in a complex world. And not only that, like we've got this thing in America right now and first world nations like called artificial intelligence. You heard about that recently? It's starting to get a little trippy. People are starting to ask really important questions like what is this gonna mean for the future? Is this gonna be something that we need to be afraid of? Um, is this gonna take away people's jobs? Like the universe that we live in is really complex and I think it's easy 
for us as human beings, we are finite, right? We cannot know everything. And it's easy to get overwhelmed and distracted by what is complex and we can run away and actually miss some of the most simple truths standing right in front of us. This actually happens a lot with people in the Christian faith. There's friends that I know that I grew up going to church with who have deconstructed their faith. They are no longer Christians because they got overwhelmed and distracted by little complex details that actually ended up causing them to be blind to the truth right in front of them. Are you following me tonight? So this video I watched, it kind of breaks things down and it asks the question, what if everything in the universe that we study as people, if we simplify it, what does it lead to? And are those things connected? So can we do a little thought experiment? Can I just tell you what I learned through this video? It was really cool. Is, is that okay? Can we nerd out a little bit, New Song students? It's gonna get a little meta, okay? It's gonna get a little meta. So he opens up the video talking about the universe, and we study the universe as human beings. We have different fields of study to help us make sense of the world around us. What are, we, what are some things that you're studying right now in school? Physics, what else? Spanish, poetry, yes. These are all French, let's go, we oui, we. Oui. So, that's all I know. <laughs> we study things because it helps us make sense of this beautiful world that we live in. So in this video, he kind of starts off with talking about the study of technology because he's like, well, you're watching this video right now on a piece of technology. You're watching it on a phone or a laptop. So let's talk about the study of technology for a second. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's not necessarily about the Bible, but it's some fun, interesting stuff. Technology is the stuff people make in order to what? Solve problems. So we create computers um, to solve problems. What is the problem? They, they, they help us think quicker, or I guess they make us dumber, but they help us. We, we, we can store more information in, than our brain can. We can get to information quicker. We can learn whatever we want to. Computers solve problems. If you have the problem of a body of water and you wanna cross it, well, we have technology. We've created this thing called a bridge. A bri or a boat, yeah, that's right. Lots of different technology. <laughs> We've created a, a bridge to solve travel problems. We've created um, air conditioning to solve the problem of summer. Thank you, Jesus, right? <laughs> Oklahoma summers are brutal, right? Now, that's the kind of the, the macro view of the study of technologies. But what is at the core of the study of technologies? Well, the core is not, the, the point of it is not stuff we make, but it's the point is to help human beings, right? It's to help make our lives easier. So at the core of technology is what? Humanity. So what is the study of the humanities? Is this okay if we just nerd out a little bit? Y'all are kind of just looking at me like you don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm just blowing your mind, right? So technology, the core of it is humanities. What is the study of the humanities? Well, the humanities is the study of people, and what they do. So this is a big umbrella of different studies. So what is under the umbrella of humanities? Well, you've got history, which is the study of what people have done in the past and how we can learn from what they did to hopefully know what happens in the future. We've got the study of um, literature, which is the study of the stories people tell. 
We've got the study of linguistics, which is the words people say. Then when you've got a group of people who think alike, look alike, talk alike, they make up something called a culture. Somebody say culture. And art is the product of a culture. It's what a culture looks like. Music is what a culture sounds like. Um, dance is what a culture feels like. Food is what a culture tastes like. Are you following me? So this is the study of humanities. What is at the core of the study of humanities? A human person, okay? So what is a human person? It's a living thing. So what is at the core of humanities? It's the study of biology. Are you following me? Are you, are you tracking with this layer thing? So what is the study of biology? Biology is the study of living things. You guys are doing great. Y'all didn't know you were coming for a science class tonight. <laughs> biology, okay, what is biology? It looks at the complexity that comes about when we look at a living thing. What, we look at animals, we look at people, we look at plants. What is considered to be a living thing? It's anything that can reproduce, it's anything that grows over time, but really what determines what a living thing is is if it has something called DNA. What is DNA? DNA is what makes up the genetic code, or it is genetic code, of a living thing. Well, let's zoom in to what DNA actually is. What is DNA actually? It's chemicals. Okay, so are you following me? We've got biology. What's at the core of biology? Chemistry. That's right. You guys are so smart. Look at this. Look at this. Okay. We're going to keep on peeling some layers. Chemistry. Chemistry, what is the study of chemistry? It's the study of what things are made of. Everything in the universe is made up of elements. Are you tracking with me? Elements that are found on the periodic table. Everything. Elements are atoms, and they are things that have neutrons, electrons, protons. They move around. They bind together. They split sometimes if you're making an atom bomb. But... Um, they, but this is what chemistry is. It's the, building, it's the building blocks of everything. It's an atom. Now let's zoom in even more. What holds together an atom? Physical force, okay? So you've got chemistry. What is at the core of chemistry? Physics. You guys are tracking with me. What is physics? Physics is the study of how things move and interact. Now, I'm not going to go into physics because this was my worst class in high school. I'm going to be honest. But all you need to know about physics is it's the study of mass and movement and how things collide and gravity. Now, how do you find the answer to all of these questions in physics? You have to make calculations. So at the core of this thing called physics, what is at the core of it? Math. Mathematics. Everybody's least favorite subject, right? I'm just kidding. Now, hey, I need you to lean in with me because this is where things get interesting. Math is the study of numbers. Numbers are weird because they don't actually exist in physical reality. You can taste, you can't taste a number, you can't see a number, you can see a symbol, but you can't see a number. You can't touch or feel or hear numbers. Numbers can only be perceived in our mind, okay? This is getting trippy, right? Lean in with me. Something that we have discovered about numbers is that numbers go on forever. 
Have you ever heard of that tasty number in geometry called pi? Y'all know pi? Okay, pi. Pi is a number that we use to help find the area of a circle. Pi is an irrational number, which means that it is a number that goes on forever and it never reforms repeating patterns. Now lean in with me for a second. This is where it gets interesting. If pi is a number that goes on forever and never performs a repeating pattern, that means that every single possible combination of numbers exists in the number pi. Not only that, but if that's the case, that means that if you were to code numbers to represent letters, every single possible combination of letters exists somewhere in pi. Are you following me? That means that every single book that has ever been written and ever will be written exists somewhere in the number pi. Now, this is where things get interesting because there are people a lot smarter than me, people who have studied mathematics their entire life, and they've gotten tripped up with the fact that math they, they say that math governs the universe. Now, they're really close on this outcome that math does, in fact, uh, the laws of math govern the universe, but the, the problem is that they've come to conclusions like math is infinite, but our universe is not infinite. It dies over time. So are we in some kind of computer simulation? This is kind of a, a theory that's going on. Like there's some kind of computer simulation. We're in a matrix of some kind. What I want you to see is that we got so close to getting to the point of what everything is. But the fact that pi taps into the fact that we live in a universe that taps into infinity, where does all of that, where is all of that stored? Well, it exists somewhere, but remember I said how math doesn't exist in reality, but it exists in our mind, we can perceive it. Well, we can't perceive eternity, right? But there is a mind that can, that's where math came from. Math came from an infinite mind, the mind of God, all right? So everything that we learn in school is actually rooted in Christ. Are you following this? Look at this. I want to show you this. I made a graph to help us see what this looks like. From Where are my visual learners at? Any visual learners? Yeah. This is what we just talked about. We started over here at technologies. What is the root of technologies? It's humans. What's the root of of humanity, biology. What's the root of chemistry? Physics. What's the root of physics? Mathematics. What does math tell us about the universe? That there is eternity. What's rooted in mathematics? God is the root of all things. Look at this. Everything that we study in school and we learn about is all meant to be pointing us to our loving God. Every single thing that we study is meant to be rooted in the living God who created everything and holds everything together. Colossians 1 is a scripture I've been meditating on a lot this year. And it says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible. Y'all know God created math, right? God created physics. All the awesome things we learn in school, they came from the mind of God. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created and exist through him, that is, by his activity and for him. And he himself existed and is before all things, and in him he holds all things together. He is the controlling, cohesive force of the universe. Now, I want to breathe some life 
into the season of life that you are in right now being a student. Have you ever been in school before and you're learning something? You're learning about a dwarf star. You're learning about physics. You're, lear you're learning about photosynthesis. And you have this thought, what is the point of all of this? Come on, be honest. Who's thought that? You think, what's the point? You're like, dude, I want to be... I wanna be an actor one day when I grow up. I wanna be in full-time ministry. I wanna play in the NBA. I'm never gonna need this in, in the future. Have you ever thought that before? Let me remind you that there actually is a point to everything that you're learning. The point is God. The point is God. It may not be what your public school teacher is telling you, but everything that you're learning is actually rooted in a loving, living God. And when we learn these things, it should cause us to fall into worship, and to just be amazed at the beauty of our God, because our God, our God is amazing. The point behind everything is God. The one holding everything together is God. And if that actually is true, then our life should solely be about knowing this God and being with him. Are y'all still tracking with me, New Song students? I know we got really deep and philosophical, but there's a reason why. Can I actually... Can I spoil every single future message you're gonna hear at church for the rest of your life? I wanna give you a spoiler alert. They are all telling you the same thing. Every single message in church is rooted in the same truth and the same response from you. We don't come to hear messages primary, primarily to hear new things, to get a new revelation. Every message is about you were made to be with God. When, when you come into service to hear a message and your sole focus is not that, being reminded that you were made to be with God and you're here because you're like, man, I wanna learn something else and when I stop learning something else, I don't see the point in this anymore, you've missed the point. It's not about learning new stuff. It's about being reminded why we are here. We were made to be with God and to know him. And I love learning new stuff and I love teaching you guys new stuff but new stuff actually isn't the point of this. It's about being reminded what is only necessary in this life. And I'll prove it to you. This vision series that we're in, we're talking about expanding God's kingdom on the earth. What is the point of expanding God's kingdom on the earth? More people will be with God. That's the point. Okay, so what about heaven? What's the point of heaven? What makes heaven heaven? God is there. Sounds kind of obvious, but that's what makes heaven heaven. What's the point of dying to self? It's not so you look like a holy Christian. It's because when you die to self, you get God. What's the point of prayer? Being with God, talking with him. What's the point of you reading your Bible? Being with God, hearing his voice. We read this yesterday in our Being Transformed journal, Psalm 37. I love this passage. It says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, when you learn to delight yourself in the Lord, that scripture tells us that he's gonna give you what you want. But when you desire God, what's the thing that you want? God. So when you learn to desire yourself and delight in God, God gives you more of himself. That's the whole point. The point of everything is God. Now, why am I telling you all this? Why are we getting all philosophical? You're probably thinking to yourself, I'm at church, Pastor Jackson. I understand that God is the point. Why are you telling me this? Well, 
Number one, I think it's fun, and we should talk about stuff like this in church. We, we, should talk, we should not be afraid to talk about stuff like this. But number two is I want to simplify what is very easily overcomplicated in this life. In the same way that we just went through the process of peeling back layer and layer of the studies of the universe. Do, do you remember that we just did that? We just went through the process of peeling back all of these studies to find out that the point of everything leads us to God. In the same way, what I want us to do tonight is I want us to peel back layers and layers of the complexities of our heart to find out if that really is the point of my life right now. If somebody were to peel back every layer of your life, would they find out that your life is about being with God and knowing him? If not, that's what it's about. And we're gonna, we're gonna talk about that tonight. But the greatest temptation that we are all gonna face in this walk is this thing called distraction. Somebody say distraction. distraction. This is the greatest temptation we are all going to face. What, is, what does it mean to be distracted? Well, the definition of distraction is a thing that prevents someone from giving full, somebody say full, full, full attention to something else. Now, we all are really good at placing some attention on stuff, but we're not that good at placing full attention on stuff. And if we're not careful in our walk with Christ, it is very easy to, for our inward motives to be shifted a little bit. And when they're shifted just a little bit, when they are distracted just a little bit, we actually end up missing the whole point of some of the things that we're doing. Michael Reeves says this in a book that I read last year called Delighting in the Trinity. It was amazing. He says, we can open our Bibles for all sorts of odd reasons, as a religious duty, an attempt to, to earn God's favor, or to think that it serves as some moral self-help guide, a manual of handy tips for effective religious lives. That idea is actually one main reason why so many feel discouraged in their Bible reading. Hoping to find quick lessons for how they should spend their life today, people find instead a genealogy or a list of various sacrifices. How could page after page of histories and descriptions of temples and instructions to priests affect how I rest and work and pray today? But look at this. When you see that Christ is the subject of all scripture, that he is the word, the Lord, the son who reveals his, his father, the promised hope, the true temple, the true sacrifice, the great high priest, the ultimate king, then you can read, not so much asking, what does this mean for me right now, but what do I learn of Christ? Listen to this. Knowing that the Bible is about him and not me means that instead of reading the Bible obsessing about me, I can gaze on him. Amen. If we're not careful, we tend to live our lives with the wrong standard measurement. We live our lives with the wrong standard of measurement. We can easily find ourselves distracted by the things that we think are necessary, the things that we think are important in this life. And in Luke chapter 10, which is where our teaching text is found, we actually find Jesus correcting the standard of measurement in two different places. The first one is uh, what we read. It's actually the second one. It's with Martha and Mary. But the one before that is earlier in the chapter with the 72 disciples. Are you familiar with the story when Jesus sends out the 72 disciples? It's in the beginning of Luke chapter 10. 
And he sends them out two by two and he gives them power and authority. And so they are sent out and to their surprise, everything that Jesus said they would do, it worked. Like Jesus is inviting his disciples to not just be followers of him, but to be apprentices of him. And an apprentice doesn't just watch their master do things. An apprentice is eventually invited to do the same things that their master does. And so these disciples that are sent out, they're sent out with the same power that Christ had, and they come back, and they are stoked because the power worked. Now, have you ever witnessed God something that he told you was going to happen, and you were surprised by it? (laughs) You were like, wow, I actually didn't think that was going to happen. Praise God. Has that ever happened to somebody before? That's happened to me before. You're like, I shouldn't be surprised by this, but I am for some reason. This actually happened to me uh, this last summer with my boy Gavin. Uh, If you don't remember, if you don't remember, Gavin showed up to camp last year with a broken foot. He was in a boot, and he was hobbling around camp all all the first two days. And um, at midday prayer on our third day, uh, we had a prayer service, and we prayed for a lot of different people. But we got to witness Jesus heal Gavin's foot right before all of our eyes. It was amazing, and I remember leaving that service. I was walking out of the the worship center, and you know how it faces that gaga ball field? So I remember leaving the worship center, and I saw Gavin sprinting and jumping, and I had that moment where it's like I burst out laughing, and I also could have just weeped at the same time. Like I was just overcome with the joy of the Lord, and I had this thought. I was like, I can't believe Jesus healed Gavin's foot. And then I had this thought right after that. I was like, why am I surprised? This is the God that we serve. Amen? And sometimes this happens. And this is what happened with the disciples. They return, and they're like, Jesus, it worked. And they're freaking out because they saw all of this power flow through them. And Jesus actually corrects them. Because sometimes Jesus, he's not a buzzkill, but he seems like a buzzkill. Look at this. Luke 10, 17. Then the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us by your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. (laughs) Can you imagine being a disciple? You're like, okay, flex Jesus. (laughs) That's cool, I guess. Like Jesus is like, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. It's like, what? Okay, Jesus. And then he says, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Man, that's amazing. But nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So the first distraction that we see Jesus correcting is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. The point of everything, your walk with Christ, your walk with God, your walk with your family, literally everything. The point is not what I see, what I have, what I can possess. This is what Jesus is correcting. The disciples come back to Jesus and they're stoked and they're, they're expecting Jesus to join in with this celebration, but he doesn't. He corrects them. He, he talks about this really cryptic message, Satan falling from heaven. Why does he do this? I think he does this for two reasons. First, 
I think he does this to give his disciples and to us another glimpse at his divine nature. I think Jesus is letting his disciples know, hey, he's reinforcing the fact, I am not 30-something years old. I am physically, like this point in history, in my physical nature, yes, I have a beginning, and I am 30-something years old, but I also have a divine, eternal nature. And he lets them know, I'm not just some good teacher. I'm not just some good prophet. I'm not a good example. I am God. I was with God, and I saw God create Satan, and I saw Satan fall from heaven before the foundation of this world. Jesus is eternal. You know that, right, New Song students? Jesus is not just some nice guy that we worship. He is God. He is eternal. And he's reinforcing this truth. Amen. But then he lets his disciples know that he saw Satan fall from heaven. Why? Seems kind of random. Well, let's peel back some layers on Satan. Let's look at Satan and his beginnings, and let's see where the fall happened in his heart. So we know in Scripture that Satan was actually created by God. He was an angel in heaven. He was one of the most beautiful angels in heaven, and he actually had some sort of authority in heaven. But something happened in Satan's heart. Something crept in, and it caused him to really be the start of evil and to be cast out of heaven. So let's look at the two, the two passages that talk about this in Scripture. The first one is Ezekiel uh, 28. Check this out. This is uh, the prophet Ezekiel talking about the beginnings of Satan. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. That's a fun one to say, carbuncle. <laughs> it's kind of bouncy, carbuncle. Um, <laughs> and, you cra- and crafted in gold were your set. set- settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed garden cherub. I placed you where you were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. Your heart was proud. Why? Because of your beauty. What you saw You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor, what you possessed, and I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. The second place we see the the beginnings of Satan is in Isaiah 14. Check this out. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Look at this phrase right here. This is, this is what the demonic sounds like right here. I will make myself like the most high. Boom. Verse 15. But you were brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. So what happened in Satan's heart? Well, we don't know exactly how quick it happened. We don't know what the process looked like. But over time, Satan's attention shifted. His attention shifted. The point of his existence was supposed to be about being with God 
and bringing glory to God. But over time, it became less and less about that, being with God and being with him in heaven. And at the point of his existence turned into the beauty of himself, the things he saw, the good things that God actually gave him and covered him with. Satan actually took a good gift from God that was generously given to him, which was his beauty, and it became the very distraction that became the root of unrighteousness in his heart. It started with how he saw himself, but it turned into this burning passion for more, this burning passion to have what God had, to have the majesty in the throne that God sat in, and it led Satan to desire to take his place. This is, fun fact, the very same pattern we see in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Check this out. Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to skip around real quick. But it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He came to the woman and he said, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Skip down to verse 6. Look at what it says. So when the woman... What does that word say? When the woman, sorry. (laughs) Look at this. Where is that at? So when the woman saw, saw. there we go. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, what did she do? She possessed it. She took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Are you seeing the same pattern that Satan fell into? It's the exact same trap. The point of Eden was to be with God, to be in his presence. But Satan was crafty, and he knew if I can just get Eve to see something that she desires with her eyes, I can eventually get her to have a burning passion to possess that thing. This is why Jesus warns us about the things we see. Matthew 6, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, look at this, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What we are looking at, students, has a direct correlation with what we desire. What we are looking at and focusing on has a direct correlation with what our life is actually being built on. She saw the fruit with her eyes and she thought that gaining this fruit and possessing it and eating it was gonna give her what she thought she wanted. So what does she do? She follows that desire, gets the fruit, actually finds out that it made her worse feeling than before. And then something happens. We see the nature of this in our life, what it actually does for our walk with God and what it does with our relationship to God. Look at this, verse eight. After the fall, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from what? The presence of God. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. So are you following me? The point of everything is God. The point of everything for you as a human being is to be with God in his presence. But when we make our life about what we see, about what we have, about what we don't have yet, but what we can possess in the future, what ends up happening? 
We end up getting the thing that we thought we wanted. We feel worse off than before. And not only that, we hide ourselves from the presence of God. We feel shame. We feel like we don't deserve to be with God. We don't feel like we don't deserve the source of life that we were always meant to be connected to. When the point of our life isn't the presence of God, we actually allow our sinful desires to push us further and further away from his presence. Now, this distraction, this distraction can look like a lot of different things. It can look like sinful things, but it does not just have to be sinful things. All right? Let's talk about what these distractions can be. The distractions can look like the things you're seeing in your eyes that are straight up sinful. Maybe you find yourself looking at things, watching things that you know are not good. You know they're darkness. You know they're corrupting your mind. This is a distraction. We desire to have things that we know deep down inside. I want this video game. And I know deep down inside it's actually not going to make me happier. But for some reason, I'm still obsessing about it anyway. We do this. We get distracted. We, we get our hopes up and we think maybe this time it'll be different. Maybe this relationship will finally be the key. We give ourselves completely to things like sports. And I'm not against sports. I love sports. I never played sports in high school, uh, unfortunately, but I like them now. I don't have anything against sports, but follow me. We give our lives completely to sports, but what happens, you hear this so many times, somebody gets injured and they're having a life crisis because they're like, I don't know if I have meaning anymore. I go to the skate park a lot and I see guys completely obsessing over skateboarding. And I love to skateboard, but you know what I like to remind myself when I start to get obsessed about it? I like to remind myself what a skateboard is. It's just a piece of wood with wheels on it. Like, do I really want to make my entire life about a piece of wood with wheels on it? I encourage you to do this with some of the hobbies that you like, some of the sports that you play. Let's strip out what, what it is culturally and think about what it actually is. Are you following me? Is the point of your life being with God or is it the distractions in your life? For some of us, the massive distraction in our life is our phone. Now, please listen to me. Don't check out. Don't be like, dude, you're, you're aging yourself. You are now the weird old millennial that's like, I used to play outside when I was a kid. <laughs> don't, don't check out even though I did play outside as a kid. And uh, you probably did too, I don't know. But I just know kids don't do that anymore these days. But the Lord, the Lord over the last year has really been working on me with my phone. Um, I've been putting more and more boundaries on my phone. It's basically like a dumb phone now. I have five minutes of Instagram time a day. I have five minutes of YouTube time every single day. I'm not... I'm not boasting, but my screen time at the end of the day, I'm not even joking, 40 minutes on my screen. Now, flex. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But listen to me, listen to me. That's not how I used to be. I used to spend a lot of time on my phone, and you know what I used to do? I used to justify. It's not that bad. Everybody does it. But you know what I've realized when I spend less time on my phone? I spend a lot more time in the presence of God. It actually was a distraction in my life. It actually was. No matter how much I tried to justify it, it was a distraction keeping me from being in the presence of God more. And y'all know the devil is so crafty. He will find anything and everything in our life that we can justify as a good distraction, even if it is that. It's a distraction. 
I remember when I was in Bible college, I'll try to keep this quick, but my first year in Bible college, I went to Christ for the Nations, and every single day, Monday through Friday, we had chapel at eight in the morning. It was an hour long of worship every single weekday. And the first year of my school, it was amazing. I had this amazing worship uh, director there, and he played a new worship song every single day. It was like my first, I felt like I was being exposed to so much incredible worship music, and I loved chapel that first year of school. The next year, I come back, and he left. We had a new worship director, and this new guy, bless his heart, um, he sang the same, he would sing the same five 90s worship songs every single day for an entire semester, and it bugged me. It drove me crazy, to be honest, until one day the Lord kind of spanked me a little bit, and he was like, hey, Jackson, Jackson, I see, I see that you're trying to justify, you're trying to justify your heart to not want to worship because they don't sing the songs you like. But last time I checked, Jackson, the worship's not about you. It's for me. And I had a wake-up call, and I was like, oh, man, Lord, you're right. I don't care. It shouldn't matter to me what songs they sing at church because it's not about me. It's about you. Do you see how we get distracted by things that are just not necessary, New Song students? We make these justifications for our distractions, but I'm here to tell you that what we see, what we have in our life, what we can possess, that's not the point of this life. Maybe you're here tonight and you have gotten caught up in that distraction, what you've seen. Maybe, what, maybe good things that the Lord has given you. I'm telling you, the Lord wants to correct that vision in you tonight, and he wants to simplify your life and remind you that is not the point. Let's strip back some layers of your life. Let's strip away sports. You don't have to give it away, but is that the thing your life is being built on right now? Let's strip away dance and all of these things that you love to do. And I'm, again, please hear me. I'm not saying Jesus doesn't want you to do any of those things. I just spent the first 10 minutes talking about how amazing the studies of the universe are. God is in all of that stuff. What I'm saying is, do you understand what the point of all of it is? It's about being with God. The second thing that Jesus corrects is this. The point is not what I can do and earn. If the enemy can't get us to fall into the trap of our life being built on what we see and what we have and what we can possess, he will get us to fall into the distraction of earning and doing things. And this is where we find Martha. Somebody say Martha, Martha. <laughs> Luke 10, look at this. She had a sister named Mary who was seated herself at the Lord's feet and was continually listening to his teachings. But Martha was very busy and distracted with all of her serving responsibilities. And she approached him and said, Lord, is it not any concern to you that you've left my, that, that you let my sister left me to do all the serving alone? Reading is hard sometimes, y'all. <laughs> Tell her to help me and to do her part. But the Lord replied to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered and anxious about so many things. I love how carefully Jesus uses these words to describe Martha. I think it was on purpose. He uses the words, and scripture uses the words very busy, distracted, and then it uses the words serving, responsibility, anxious about so many things. Jesus says, 
Martha, Martha, you are worried about so many things. You're anxious about so many things. You know, I actually think that these are really amazing words that we can use to actually measure the standard of our walk with God to see if the purpose for our walk with God has shifted a little bit. If somebody asks you how your walk with God is going, how your relationship with God is going, and your response has anything to do with, uh, man, my walk with God is great. I'm at church all the time, and I serve a lot. Then we missed the point. Maybe your response would be something like this, man, to be honest, my walk with God, like, I'm, I'm trying my best, but I, man, I just feel like I'd be, I could be doing so much more. I feel like I'm falling behind. If, if we are to describe our walk with Christ with any words that have to do with being worried, anxious, or bothered, then I can assure you, you have missed the point of your walk with God. And I don't say this to make you feel bad, New Song students. I say this to wake you up because the fruit of being with God should be what? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But I see so many Christians, good-hearted people, and the point of their Christian faith has not been on being with Jesus, but it has been about doing for Jesus, earning Jesus's love and attention. And that is not the point, And that does not produce the fruit of the Spirit. It just doesn't. It's a form of godliness, but it's actually not rooted in freedom. It's rooted in bondage. It's rooted in slavery. Students, has your walk with God become like Martha? You're not tapping into a well of living water. You're actually really tired of following Jesus. And you're actually anxious about your relationship with God. You're focused on trying to prove that you're a Christian all the time. Can I tell you, there's so much more to walking with Jesus than that. And Jesus corrects this attitude in Martha, and he shifts her focus to what's necessary. Look at this. Only one thing is necessary, for Martha has chosen the good part, that which will not be taken, take that which is to her advantage, which will not be taken from her, Skip up to verse 39. What, is he, what, what do we see? What was she doing? She had a sister named Mary who seated herself at the Lord's feet and was continually listening to his teachings. That's the point right there. That is the point of being a Christian. That is the focus of your life. The point is being with and hearing from. I want to invite the band to come up as we get ready to close. The point of all of this the point of as it is in heaven, the point of scripture, the point of your walk with Jesus is sitting at his feet and hearing his voice. It's not to say that serving is not important. I'm not saying that serving God is important. I'm not saying that doing things for Jesus is not important and we need to stop doing things for him. I'm just saying that's not the point. That's not what's necessary. What is necessary is you being in the presence of God. This is why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and then everything's gonna be added unto you. That's because every good and perfect thing comes from people being in God's presence. Amen. It doesn't come from being in church. It comes from a constant awareness that God is with you. Christians who don't turn prayer off, but are praying without ceasing. That's where the fruit is. Jesus walked this way. 
You know, Jesus was constantly connected to his father, constantly with God in the presence of God. And Jesus told us that he only did what the father was doing. He only said the words that he saw his father saying. Jesus was not always alone by himself. He was also doing things. I don't know if you knew that. Jesus had friends. Jesus ate food. Jesus had a job. All of the things that he was doing, he was doing them in the presence of God, connected to God. Are you following me? This is the point. This is where everything flows from. But not only Jesus, he's not the only person that did this. He's our model. He's our perfect example. But we have Christians. We have an amazing inheritance of history of believers who have tapped into this awareness of God, practicing the presence of God every single moment of every single day, not turning it on when they come to church or come to a service and then leaving and turning it off, but practicing the presence continually. I wanna tell you about two of them real quick and we'll get ready to close. The first one is of this guy named Brother Lawrence. He was a Christian monk and he lived in a monastery and his job at the monastery was to cook. That's what he did. His entire life in the monastery was cooking food. And eventually he got to the point where he decided, you know what? I'm just gonna do my life and I'm gonna live my life and I'm gonna cook food to the glory of God. Everything I do, I'm gonna do for God, with God and to God. And these are some things that Brother Lawrence said. I love this. He says, I still believe that all spiritual life consists of practicing God's presence and that anyone who practices it correctly will soon attain spiritual fulfillment. There is no sweeter manner of living in the world than continuous communion with God. He says this, I love this. I have abandoned all particular forms of devotion, all prayer techniques, he says, I've given all of those prayer techniques away. My only prayer practice is attention. I carry on habitual, silent, secret conversation with God that fills me with overwhelming joy. He just never stopped praying. He just never cut the line between him and God. What if you did that, New Song students? What if you left tonight and you didn't turn off your connection with God, but you let it continue? What would your life look like? I promise you it would look different. I promise you it would if you learned to practice the presence of God. I wanna share one more story with you, is that okay? In the uh, early, early, early church, I'm talking like 8,200, um, there was a point in history where, you know, when Jesus came and he established his church, in that first 100 years, the, the church was persecuted. It was actually very dangerous to be a Christian. People died for their faith. But not much long later, um, Christianity actually became a national religion. It became popular, it became acceptable, it actually became like fashionable to be a believer. It wasn't hard work. And when things got easier for Christians, you know what happened? Discipleship stopped. Walking with God was not deep anymore. It's kind of like how we are today in our cultural Christianity. It's like, it's pretty acceptable in Oklahoma to be a Christian. Because of that, you don't have very many people dying for their faith in Oklahoma, right? So early, early on in the church, there was a guy named um, uh, Antony of Egypt. And he was this old, old, old Christian, 200 AD. This is when he lived. And he started to see that Christianity was becoming this surface level thing where people weren't 
There was no conviction. People didn't know God. People weren't being with him. It was all cultural. And so he decided to do something. He decided to leave everything, forsake everything. He left his city, lived in the wilderness for 20 years in isolation, just him and the presence of God. He was the first, what, what's now known as Desert Father, which is just really epic. That should be a hardcore band. Anybody wanna start a band called Desert Fathers with me? Let's do it. So he was this, this guy named, he was a desert father. He isolated himself to be in the presence of God. Now you would think that if you rolled up on some dude who has been by himself in a cave, just him and God for 20 years, you'd think he's kind of a creepy dude, right? He's probably like skinny, looks like a skeleton. He's probably like, like kind of creepy. But this actually wasn't the case with him. In fact, this is what was written about him when people tracked him down and found him 20 years later after being in the presence of God. Look at this. Athanasius says this. They were amazed to observe that his body was strong and lean, his soul pure and peaceful. His demeanor was quiet and humble. He began to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and to console the distressed, and to reconcile enemies, and to impart wisdom to anyone who would listen, urging everyone to prefer nothing in the world above the love of Christ. That was the product of a man who was just with God for 20 years. People tracked him down and he just started performing signs and wonders and miracles. Now, what I'm not telling you tonight is you need to leave your home and tell your parents, hey, I'm gonna go live in the desert <laughs> and become a desert sister or brother. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when Jesus says to that rich young ruler, give everything and follow me. He, he meant that he, that rich young ruler, if he were to do that, he would have been okay. He actually would have been better if he sacrificed and forsake everything to follow Jesus. My question to you tonight is, man, what would that look like for you to give more? None of us are giving full attention to Jesus yet, but what would it look like for you right now to give more attention to the presence of God in your life? Because I promise you, everything that you desire, everything you wanna see and be used by God, that it's gonna flow, not from you working and practicing Christianity, but being with Jesus. Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me?